Well, good morning, everyone. I was slow in getting my mic turned on because I was humming the, like that really upbeat axe music, and so I didn't want y'all to hear me humming. Um, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dive in this morning. Father, you are so good to us. God, the mere fact that you sent your son, you purchased us by his blood, and God, and that you have redeemed us and brought us into your kingdom, a beautiful kingdom full of peace and truth and harmony. God, you would be worthy of worship just for that. But God, this morning there is so much more. We have roofs over our heads. We have air to breathe. We have uh, food and we have all of our needs taken care of. God, so let us look to you and remember you as the great provider. God, there are many in our family, in our church body who are sick. God, and we pray that this morning you would heal them. We know that you right now in this moment, outside of nature, outside of science, you can fix them and we pray that you would right now. We believe that you can. But God, we also rest and trust that your good and perfect will be done. God, when we cannot trust what is going on around us, let us trust your character and that you are good. God, bless our time this morning as we look at your word that you've so graciously given us. You've revealed yourself to us. You did not have to. God, let us just bask in the beauty and the truth of your word this morning. Let it shape us and conform us into the image of your son. And it is in his name, the precious name of Jesus that we pray. All God's people said, amen. So one of my, oh wait, kids, Hold your kids' worship pages up if you're a kid and you have a kids' worship page. All right, I see quite a few of them. All right, you ready? God, God, Jesus, Lord, sin, Bible, gospel, love, pray, pray, love, gospel, Lord, Jesus, God. See, they've got to do a tally mark every time I say one of those words, so I'm just making sure they're paying attention. Keeping them on their toes a little bit. All right, so we are finishing. Today we are finishing uh, the book of Acts. Now, Acts has 28 chapters. Last week, uh, Pastor Brent was in the 20th chapter, which leaves me the task of preaching eight chapters of the book of Acts. So today we'll be in Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. That's right, two verses. Two verses. That is where we're going to camp out. So uh, we're obviously looking at the very end of Acts. These are the last two verses of the book of Acts. And so here we are getting a good little ending, a wrap-up. And one of my favorite shows and uh, growing up, and maybe some of you watched this show, was the show Lost. I loved Lost. It was one of my favorite shows. Uh, my family, we would actually get together and we would watch Lost together, um, which probably not like, like a family show, but we, there we were. Uh, but it came on on Wednesday nights. And so I remember we would have to tape it on VHS, like a VHS tape. We'd record it because we were at church on Wednesday nights. And then we'd come home from church, and we'd put in that VHS of Lost, and we'd watch it. And we loved Lost. If you don't know about Lost, Lost is about uh, an, uh, a plane goes down on an island, and it's about this group of survivors uh, on this. They're living on this island, and there's some weird stuff going on. And it's constantly flashing back to their life before they were on the island. And we kind of 
learn about the characters, and then it flashes, uh, you know, to the uh, life on the island, and there's a lot of weird stuff goes on, like time travel and parallelly weird, and Lost currently kind of sits in our cultural mindset. We that the ending of Lost was so weird and unsatisfying. It wrapped up nothing. It left more questions than answers. And honestly, there's a lot of movies or shows or books that we feel like that, like, oh, the ending was rushed, or it wasn't complete, or it didn't answer all of my questions. It happens all the time, and it bothers us. And I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of feel like that at the end of Acts. It kind of feels... Like, not very wrapped up, not very satisfying, not very, it doesn't answer all of my questions. It doesn't tell me everything that's going on. Uh, so we've been following the, the birth of the church and then the conversion of Paul, and then Paul has been uh, building and evangelizing and encouraging all these cities. And then uh, for these last eight chapters, Paul's been trying to get to Rome, and it takes him forever. It takes him like six chapters to get to Rome. All this stuff goes on. We're going to get into a little bit of it. But all this stuff goes on, and then he gets to Rome, and we get like two stories, and then we get this. These are the final words that Luke gives us in uh, the book of Acts. So 28 years the book of Acts is covering. We've gone 28 years, and then here's, here's how it ends. Verse 30, he, talking about Paul, it says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's all we have to go on. That, those two short verses, that one sentence wraps up the entire story of Acts. So what do we, what do, we do with that? What, what do we think about that? What does that tell us? And I think it's important that when we, when we come to a point in Scripture and it feels weird, it feels out of place. It feels unsatisfying. It's okay to feel that way. It's okay to have those questions. It's okay to say, why? God, why does Luke finish his story like this? Why, why does it go this way? Those questions and those feelings, they aren't too big for God. They aren't uh, too big for his word. So it's okay to ask those things. So let's ask it. Why does Luke finish the story like this? And I think what he's doing, how he's ending the book, we have to go back to the beginning to answer. I think the, the theme verse of all of the book of Acts, the book of Acts is about this verse, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So through the book of Acts, we've been seeing that that story unfold. The Holy Spirit is empowering the, the disciples and the apostles, and the gospel is spreading. It's all about the evangelistic work of the disciples. If there's one word we can say the book of Acts is about, it is evangelism. The entirety of Acts is about the spread of the gospel and the building of the early church. So if that's what the beginning is about, then that has to be what the ending is about. That has to be what Luke is talking about at the end. And so in his final words, in these last writings, I think this is what he's telling us. Sorry. He's telling us what evangelism is. He's showing us three qualities, three attributes, or three marks of a person who is committed to evangelism. These are not just short little biographical things about Paul, who is 
probably the greatest evangelist, the greatest missionary in all of the world, in all of history. He's not just saying, hey, here's what Paul's life was like. No, he's saying, these are the qualities of someone committed to spreading God's word. And ultimately, I think he's telling us that evangelism is more than just proclaiming the gospel. Evangelism is more than just proclaiming the gospel. Now, to some of you, that may sound like a bold claim. You may think that I'm out of line, but I think that it's true, and I think the text points us to that. So we're going to track these three marks, these three qualities of someone who is radically committed to evangelism. Here are the three marks. I'm going to give them to you up front. Proclaiming the gospel, sacrifice, and hospitality. Those are the three marks. Proclaiming the gospel, sacrifice, and hospitality. So first, jumping in, uh, we're actually going to start at the end and work backwards. We're going to go to 31. It says, Paul is proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now you might think, Ryan, didn't you just say that evangelism is more than proclaiming the gospel? And yeah, you're right, I did say that. But we have to recognize, we have to, have to, have to recognize that if evangelism uh, is more than proclaiming the gospel, it cannot be less than that. Evangelism must be about the proclamation of the gospel. So it is more than that, but it cannot be less than that. There is nothing, nothing in this world that can save anyone than God's grace through the gospel message. We must, we must be sharing that gospel message if we want to evangelize people. If, if you're not sharing the gospel, you're not evangelizing. If we want to see the gospel go through our community and through our country and through the world, then we uh, must speak the gospel message. We must proclaim the kingdom of God, and this is exactly what Paul is doing. Above all things, if we know anything about Paul from Scripture, specifically from the book of Acts, we know that he's committed to spreading the word of God throughout the world. Everything that we have heard about Paul since his conversion has been about his commitment to spreading the gospel, to telling people far and wide, to encouraging churches in faraway cities we had to, so all of these chapters that we jumped over, Paul is actually, these are all of like the most amazing acts of endurance that Paul has in the, in, in, in the book of Acts. Paul is, he's proclaiming the gospel, he's preaching, and he gets arrested, and the Jewish leaders, they want to have him killed. And he actually hasn't broken any Jewish law, he hasn't broken any Roman law, but they take him and they put him up to trial like a couple times, and he is forced to appeal to Roman law. He kind of wants to play at first, he wants to kind of play by the Jewish leader's rules, but then they, they kind of force his hand and he, he has to appeal to Rome or appeal to Caesar and say, hey, you're not going to kill me because that would be illegal under the laws of Rome. And so Rome is kind of like, okay, so you appealed to Caesar, so we've got to take you to Caesar. So they arrest him, so he's been arrested, and they take him again, and they put him on a ship, and uh, the boat is wrecked, there's a storm, there's a shipwreck, and Paul washes up onto a shore uh, of a beach, uh, where what does Paul do on this beach? He starts evangelizing and telling the gospel to these people that are stuck on this beach, and he's with them, and then there's a ship on that beach, and he gets uh, on the boat, and he goes to Rome, and what happens when he gets to Rome? He gets arrested again, and he gets put under house arrest. And what does he do when he's under house arrest? He does this. He proclaims the kingdom of God and teaches about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, it's really fascinating that Luke says he is preaching without hindrance. 
because he's arrested. Paul is under arrest while he is preaching, but the point is that this is not a hindrance to the gospel. The government putting Paul in his home is not a hindrance to the gospel. The gospel is going to go forth no matter what, no matter how, uh, how many chains they put on Paul. Even if they killed Paul, not a hindrance to the gospel. It is always going to go forward. So when we are, are worried about what's going on in the world, when we are worried about things outside coming and telling us how to do church or what to believe or what's right and what's wrong, church, we can be confident that that is not a hindrance to the gospel. If Paul thought that literally being under arrest for preaching was not a hindrance, then there is nothing that can be a hindrance to the gospel. And not only is it without hindrance, but it's bold. Later, uh, uh, in the, while he's under house arrest, he writes uh, to the church in Philippi. He writes his letter to the Philippians, and he talks about uh, how he spread the word uh, to people while he was under house arrest, and this is what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it may become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of all, brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak to the world, or to speak the word without fear. See, Paul is even evangelizing the guards that are holding him under house arrest. And he is doing it so much, and he is doing it so boldly, that he is confident that every single imperial guard in all of the city of Rome has heard the gospel. It is the call on Paul's life to spread the word of God. It is the call on Paul's life to spread the gospel, and he answers that call. And church, it is the call of our life as well. Jesus' final command to his disciples and to us is to go and make disciples. The Great Commission. Or as maybe like a good old Southern Baptist preacher would say, it's it's a great commission, not just a good suggestion. That's my best Brent impression. We have all been called to make disciples. We have all been called to make disciples, and that is what Paul is doing. I want to point out two different words that this verse uses. So first it says he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. That is the work of evangelism. He's telling people about God's kingdom and how they can be a part of it, but that's not where Paul stops. right? So he proclaims the kingdom of God, and then... He is teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is discipleship. He's not just proclaiming and converting a bunch of people and then like releasing them out into the world. No, but he's converting and then he's taking time to teach and disciple those people that do come to faith. It's a really important and a really distinct difference. And and I think it's separated in this text for a reason. See, we're not just looking to go out and make a bunch of converts. That's a good thing, but it's not what we want. We don't want a bunch of converts. We want a bunch of disciples who are committed to following and being shaped into the the image of Christ. Conversion is not the end zone. That's not where we score. Conversion is the kickoff. That's when the game starts. So we need to proclaim God's kingdom, and we need to make disciples. So to, to do evangelism, we must be proclaiming the good news that Christ has come to save his people from sin, and that you can be a part of that kingdom. We must do that. We must go out and tell people how they can be saved. 
But I think we also see earlier in the verse, we get these two other markers of what a faithful evangelist is like. So look back at verse 30 with me. The first thing we learn about Paul in this verse is he lived there two whole years at his own expense. He lived at his own expense. See, Paul is sacrificing something of himself so that the gospel work can happen. So the second marker, the first is proclaim the gospel. The second is sacrifice. We must be marked by sacrifice. Now we know that Paul is not a super wealthy guy. Earlier in Acts, he has to stay in a city and he has has to start making tents to support uh, his missionary journeys, to support his work. And at some points, he was likely relying on benefactors or other people that had been converted and wanted to support him. But that is not the case here. Paul is giving up much of himself. He's giving up things that he has earned to be faithful. He's, he's giving up a piece of himself to be faithful to the call that God has put on his life. It's a simple fact. We must sacrifice parts of ourselves to be faithful to God's call. And, and so here it seems that Paul is just giving up of himself financially, right? He's just paying his own way to live there, which to some of you, that may sound like a big deal. Like, people are trying to give Paul money, and he's telling them no? Why would he do that? Seems silly. He's, so he's living on his own dime. He's giving up something that he earned, right? He earned it. That's his money that he earned that the, so that the gospel can go forth. He's giving it up. He's releasing it. But we know from uh, later writings that Paul didn't just call us to give us to give up ourselves financially, but he calls us to give up every single aspect of our lives so that we might honor God. He writes to the the church in Rome, the the city he's in currently in in the story in Acts, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Everything you do should be offered as a sacrifice to God. You should always be ready to give up something of yourselves. Paul recognized that the call of the Christian was to deny yourself, deny your own wants, your own desires, and to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. One of my favorite stories of uh, someone who, who lived this out, who lived sacrificially like this, is the story of a guy named uh, Franz Jägerstatter. Franz Jägerstatter, he was, he was an Austrian farmer, and uh, he was there, and he was pretty politically active in his, in his small town um, in Austria, and he was actually just about to be appointed the mayor of this small town when uh, a neighboring country, Germany, came into Austria and started kind of taking over uh, all of the political machinations of Austria, even down to the smallest town. And uh, Franz Jäger, uh, Jägerstetter did not particularly like the way the Germans were running things. And so he uh, kind of became a recluse, kind of kept to his own. He had a wife. He had three daughters. And uh, he, he, he wrote in, in some journals that he was distraught. He was distraught at the level of the people in his village commitment to the German government. See, because they were feeling energized. They felt like their voice mattered and that an old way of life was returning. But, but Franz recognized the hate and the brutality of the words of the Germans coming in. And he saw how people were changing. He was dismayed that people were so ready 
to follow this Third Reich. And in 1940, Franz was conscripted to go and serve into the armed forces of Germany. And he was a Christian, and he, and he knew the scriptures, and he knew that you needed to obey the governing authorities, so he went. He went to training. But at the end of his training, he was, he was asked to swear what is called the soldier's oath. Now we call it the Hitler oath, which is when you raise that hand sign and you swear total allegiance the Third Reich and to Adolf Hitler, and he refused. See, they weren't asking him to kill anyone. They weren't asking him to go do some of the horrible atrocities that we know that this government was committing. They weren't even asking him to go fight in the war yet. All they said was, we need you to totally commit yourself to the workings of Hitler. And he knew that there was a call on his life that was from a higher authority, and he would not do it. And three years later, he would go to his death because of his refusal to, put in, to swear an oath to Germany. He was executed by the Germans on July 6th, 1943. He was 36. His oldest daughter was not even six years old. Franz Jägerstatter committed and gave himself up because he was so committed to the call that God had placed on his life. He would not compromise. The final words he wrote were, I am completely bound in inner union with the Lord. He gave up everything. His life, his family, his home. He gave it all up because he felt that the call of God was so important that he could never compromise it. And Paul had done the exact same thing all throughout Acts. He's, he's beaten, he's, he's arrested, he, he gets, they try to kill him by stoning him. And he ultimately, we don't know this in Acts, but we know this because of some other writings, but we know that Paul will ultimately go and get his head removed because of his commitment to the work of Jesus. Luke, in this one little phrase, reminds us that Paul will sacrifice anything in this life, follow the will of God. He will sacrifice anything so that the gospel will be made known to as many as possible. And for a lot of us, that's hard to think of uh, in, in a country like where we live in, where Christianity is, is, serious, has, has been the cultural norm for so long. But if it's not your life, you can't fathom that, which we probably can't. What is something that you would refuse to give up? Maybe it's your job, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your passions, maybe it's being accepted, maybe it's your freedoms. Sometimes we do this exercise in youth where um, I tell all the students to, to close their eyes. We close our eyes and we think and I tell them, what is the one thing you can think of right now that if you had it, you would be happy? What is the one thing you can imagine that if you had that thing, you would be satisfied? Is it straight A's? Is it being done with school? Is it having a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Is it being on the starting football team? Is it holding up a, a state championship trophy? What is it? What is it for you? What is the thing you can imagine that would give you ultimate happiness? 
when we think of that thing, the question that we must answer is, are we willing to give that thing up for the sake of the gospel? Not that you'll have to, but you may. You see, self-denial is an inevitable piece of the Christian life. And I I want you to hear this is so important. That may sound like bad news. It may sound like bad news that we have to give up the thing that we want most for the sake of the gospel. That We might have to do that. that. That may sound like bad news. But the good news is this. That the life that you find with Christ is greater than any of those desires that we can dream of. The plan and the mission that Jesus has called us to is so much sweeter and so much more beautiful than anything that this sinful, broken mind can think of. Self-denial is an inevitable piece of the Christian's life. We all have to give things in our life that we must lay down so that we can more completely give ourselves to the mission that God has called us to. We simply have to trust that Jesus' way is greater than our way. So faithful evangelism is marked by proclaiming the gospel and sacrifice, self-sacrifice or self-denial. And then lastly, the third thing, hospitality. And I'll tell you, this is the part of the text that gets me jazzed. This is the part, when I read this, I was like, this is important. This is what we need to learn in our day. Paul tells us in verse, or Luke tells us about Paul in verse 30. He says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and then, and welcomed all who came to him. See, in the ancient world, when, when Paul lived, everything was a public space. Right, Everything you learned, everything you, uh, when you went shopping, you had to go get water from outside your house, you had to go get food from outside your house. If you wanted to go learn any news, what's going on in the world, you had to go outside your house. Any contact you made was face-to-face. Everything was largely done outside of the home. Whereas our culture is the total opposite of that. And I'm not like saying it was better back then, I'm not saying it was better now. But now you can do everything from your home. You can totally live in your own home. You get your groceries delivered. You got all your running water. You can just watch the news. You can just FaceTime with your family and your friends. You can do everything in your home. And actually, this has been a little interesting to think about and observe in youth ministry. But some of these kids, like, won't even get their license at 16 because they don't have to go outside of their house to be with their friends. They just, like, get on video games or FaceTime or whatever. They don't have to go anywhere, like, to hang out with their friends. They can just do it from home. They don't need a license. We live more of our life at home than probably any other society in the history of earth. And so what can we learn from Paul here who is contained to his home? He is under house arrest. Now, we're not bound to our home. We're free to leave. But what can we learn from a man who could not, who he was bound to his home? Well, he accepts all who come to him. The final mark of someone who's faithfully seeking to spread the gospel is practicing this hospitality. Rosario Butterfield uh, has an excellent book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And Pastor Brent has has talked about it before, but uh, it, it it is all about hospitality. And this is her definition for hospitality. Hospitality is using your Christian home to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. 
Do you see this movement? Hospitality is about using your home to make people that are strangers to you, to make them neighbors, and to make those that are neighbors to you to bring them into the family of God. So, and, and Dr. Butterfield, she doesn't just call this hospitality. She calls it radically ordinary hospitality. That living like this is, is radically normal. She tells stories about always having meals on the burner or uh, uh, families that are abandoned, their car breaks down. She starts airing up air mattresses and they come sleep on her floor. She says that Christian homes should be communal. They should be communal spaces. And this is exactly what we see Paul doing in this passage. In every story, every story we have of Paul, he's out and about. He's in the temple, he's in the synagogue, he's, he's out in all these different places and he's preaching. But since he can no longer be the, that, that can be the case, he can't leave. He's not like, well, I'll just leave it up to everyone else. I can't go out there, so I guess I tra- hope I trained him well. No, because he can't go out there, he shifts his focus to how he can bring them in here, in his home. And where we are in our cultural moment, most of our evangelism will not be done out there. It's not always going to be the most effective when we do it out there. It's not going to be the most effective when we leave the million dollar bill with the gospel tract on the back. See, our homes are our best tools in following our call to evangelism. If you want to see someone changed by the power of the gospel, this is, this is really important. If you want to see someone changed by the power of the gospel, show them what a life that has been changed by the power of the gospel looks like. Invite them into your life. Invite them into your home. Show them what self-sacrificial love is. Serve them. Love them. Many people, you, many people in, in this room and in our lives do not know what a welcoming, self-sacrificially loving home looks like. More than you would imagine. And the testimony that it is to someone to be welcomed into a space that is unfamiliar to them and served and loved is a radical message to the world. See, our city and our community would be more beautiful if we followed Paul's example and we welcomed all. And one of my very favorite passages in all of Scripture is actually a result of this very ministry. While Paul is in Rome, he meets a man called Onesimus. And Onesimus is a slave, and Paul has him in his home and welcomes him and uh, converts him and disciples him. And ultimately, he decides, Onesimus, I need to send you back to your master. It is not right for you to be away from your master. I need to send you back. And Paul writes a letter to Onesimus' master, Philemon, and he says this. He says, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And then he says, I am sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. Paul did not just see these people as projects or as uh, evangelism. Uh, we're going to follow these steps and I'm going to send you out. He made Uh, He took these relationships seriously, deeply. He calls Onesimus his child. He says that he is like his father. He says that sending him away is like sending his very heart. We all have neighbors 
and we have coworkers, and we have friends, and they do not know the truth and the beauty of the gospel. What if we committed today, not just to telling them the truth, but to showing them the truth? Showing them, inviting them into our lives. It's not a mistake that part of our mission statement is making Jesus essential in the hearts, lives, and homes. We don't expect people to make Jesus essential in their home if he's not essential in our home. Are we ready to see our homes? Are we ready to see our homes not as our places, our getaway, where we go for our rest, but are we ready to see our homes as a gift from God intended to be used to spread his gospel? See, Paul knew that hospitality was welcoming all, no matter their creed, no matter their color, no matter their political party, who they voted for in a presidential election. He doesn't care what their opinions on masks or vaccines are. He doesn't even care how they treated him in the past. See, Paul, in, in the earlier verses, he lets in these Jewish leaders, and he, and he uh, uh, evangelizes them. He tells them the truth of the gospel. And these are the very people who, a couple of chapters later, were trying to kill him. And he says, come into my home. Let me tell you the truth and the beauty about a man named Jesus. He brings them in because he knows that hospitality is an evidence of Jesus' power in our lives. He knows that Jesus is magnified by our open homes. So the book of Acts doesn't tell us what happens to Paul. It doesn't tell us which church is the best or the biggest. It doesn't tell us much about the church in Rome at all. But it's not an ambiguous ending. It doesn't fail to wrap up the story of Acts because the story of Acts is actually not really wrapped up at all. See, the book of Acts is not just a story, but it's also the call on our lives and our churches, and we're living it right now. The gospel is continuing to go out. It's continuing to go forward. Churches are continuing to be planted, and they're continuing to grow, and they're continuing to change, and people are still being saved by God's grace and conformed to his image. That's still going on. The story of the gospel going forward is still going on. So what part are we playing? What part are you playing? What part is fellowship Baptist Church playing. This morning, may we all be struck by the beauty of a life like Paul's. May we long to live lives that are marked by proclaiming the gospel and denying our own wants and desires and by opening our homes so that the gospel can be made known. We long for that. We want that. But not because we think we have to. We don't live this way. This is not a, a list of rules. He didn't, the word doesn't say, hey, to be a good evangelist, you have to do these things. It's not a checklist that we have to do. No, we, we long and we want to do these things because if we believe the Bible, then we believe that living a life marked by proclaiming the gospel and by self-sacrifice and by evangelism is truly the best way to live. Because evangelism is not just a part of life. It is truly living. We know it is the best way to live because the best man who ever lived, lived this way. Jesus Christ came in perfection, was the friend of sinners, was open to all. He proclaimed his own goodness, his own life, his own, uh, his own 
plan to save. He taught of a perfect kingdom and a peace that you can experience, the rest that you can experience. And then he denied himself and literally sacrificed himself so that we might commune with him. So church, let us take up that mantle of Jesus. It is easy. It is light. Let let us carry it around the world. Let us living at our own expense, welcoming to all and proclaiming the gospel which has been promised by a perfect sacrifice. In Lost, about midway through the show Lost, spoilers for like season four of Lost, some people living on the island are rescued and they uh, go back to their normal lives and they come to this realization that life was actually better on the island. We We were more satisfied. We were more happy. Life was better there. One character, he he becomes kind of infamous for repeating this line. He keeps telling everyone, we have to go back. Church, this morning, I hope that we read this story. We see this description of Paul, the ultimate evangelist. We see his bold proclamation. We see his contentment in his imprisonment. We see how ready he is to give himself up. We see how he opens his home to all he seeks who seek rest. He opens his very heart to them. I hope that the thought that enters our head is not, well, I can never be like that. I hope that we do not think, well, wasn't Paul great? No, I think the intention is that we read these final words of Acts. We think about our life. We think about our call to make disciples. And we think we have to go back to living a life like this. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the story of your church, for the story of your gospel that is going forth, for a a story of a message of good news that is without hindrance, that your spirit, God, your very spirit is in us and propelling the gospel forward and that churches are being planted and that churches are, being, are, are growing and that people are being shaped and conformed into the image of Christ, that uh, we are currently living in the story of Acts. God, let us look and let us dwell and let us be convicted of the times that we did not play our part well and God let us continue into the story not with guilt and not with shame but with freedom and with peace that we can live a life like Paul we can be marked by self-denial by self-sacrifice we can be marked by radically normal hospitality And God, we can go forth and we can proclaim the gospel because of the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of your son. We can proclaim that good news with boldness, without hindrance. God, we pray that you would use us in a mighty way. We pray that as we get to the end of our days that people would remember us as those who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples. And not because we were Bible thumping or constantly pushing people or whatever it may be, but they remembered that our lives, our very actions, our very words, our very thoughts were a testament to who you are. Lord, as we respond, I pray that you 
would draw hearts near to you who are far. Let them know that they are loved by you. There is no guilt, there is no shame that they can be free from the shackles of their sin. They can be released into a beautiful kingdom. God, for those that are, that are in you this morning, I pray that you would give them the same rest, the same peace. Maybe they're thinking, I haven't done this very well. I've been a Christian for 50 years, and I've never lived on mission like this. I've never lived an evangelistic life like this. God, remove those thoughts. And rather than conviction, give them encouragement. There is still time. There is still time to open their hearts and to open their homes and to proclaim your word. God, use your word this morning as we respond. Let it mold us. Let it change us to long to live a life marked by these qualities and to long to see a world not changed by our words, changed by your good news. The good news of the sacrifice of your son. In his name we pray, all God's people said. I'll be standing up here. Got some men on the side. If you'd like to pray, I'll be up here. Let's stand and let's respond.